This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here and welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat segment live from Atlanta, site of this year's SEC Media Days, which I'm, I'm just now getting comfortable with the notion uh, that it's in Atlanta. I'm no longer asking everybody, is that Central Time or Eastern Time? You know, I'm so used to this event being held in Birmingham. Uh, it's kind of refreshing. It was kind of nice just to make about a one hour and 10 minute drive over here uh, this morning uh, to be here for Commissioner Sankey, kind of doing a little lighting adjustment here on the fly. Finally found uh, some plugs at work. Um, and and it, today was a good first day. It was a good first day for uh, the SEC to be in Atlanta, I thought there was a lot of good talking points. Certainly Lane Kiffin, you know, always brings it. I'm, I like Brian Kelly. I like that hire. I think he's a great coach. It remains to be seen if he's the right fit for LSU. But as far as a guy who's built a lot of programs, what he did at Grand Valley State, uh, what he did at uh, Central Michigan, what he did at Cincinnati, uh, the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. I was surprised. Some of you may follow me on Twitter at Mike Griffith 32. I ran a poll and I said, which of these three coaches would you hire be most likely to hire Eli Drinkwitz, Lane Kiffin or Brian Kelly? I was shocked to see that Lane Kiffin got about 70% of the votes. I said, Holy cow. It just goes to show you how much people base their opinions and perception on social media, because as far as what each coach has accomplished, Lane's been a head coach 10 years, got Tennessee on probation, didn't do much at Southern Cal, was decent at Florida Atlantic. I do think he's had some success at Ole Miss, but I don't put him in the same conversation with Brian Kelly. I think Brian Kelly is a borderline Hall of Fame coach. I, I don't know if he's there yet, but I mean, he's played in the national title game again being the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. And the reason that's significant is there's so many limitations at Notre Dame of who you can recruit, how you can recruit. And yes, there's some inherent advantages, but not to the extent that there were back in the 1970s and 80s when the Irish were winning national titles. It's a different program now. And it'll be very interesting to see how that program moves forward without Brian Kelly. And I think it'll be very interesting to see how LSU moves forward. I like LSU in the West. And I'll give my picks a little bit later in the show. I actually, I'm going to put the scoop out there uh, on my prediction for records in the SEC. I'm going to do that later in the show. I kind of went through it and I said, you know what? I want to go through the SEC schedule and make my picks before I, before I listen to any of these coaches, because these coaches, they're all very good leaders. And so they're all very good motivators and they, they can convince every one of them can convince you that they're going to win a lot of games. So I said, you know what? Before I deal with this propaganda, I want to measure this on my own. This is my own unfiltered, you know, opinion on the schools. And again, I'm, I'm looking forward to giving you guys my my predictions uh, later in the show here on Ingles on the Beat. So I want to start out with a column I wrote this morning, and and I know it gets some Georgia fans fired up. And but you know what? Georgia fans should be fired up because here's the deal. You're going to celebrate 2021 and the national championship for the rest of your lives, okay? 
you find is, is Jeremy Pruitt called it on this program a couple of weeks ago. I know you guys saw that show relief syndrome. Oh my gosh. 40 years is over with, right? Well, guess what? The clock's already been hit and time is running once again. And Georgia and Kirby smart need to prove that they're not a flash in the pan. Kirby came around and said that we're not a one hit wonder. Okay. You said it, but now you got to prove it. Everybody says it. Do you think LSU said, oh, hey, we won the 2019 national title. We're a one-hit wonder. No, they didn't see it coming. Do you think Auburn, when they won their national title with Cam Newton, do you think they said, hey, we're a one-hit wonder? No, they haven't been back and won it since. You know, So it's hard to sustain when Nick Saban is in this league and Alabama's doing Alabama things. And I wrote a preview Sunday night, and Kirby has become – the winningest coach in the conference by winning percentage. He's at 815. Nick Saban is at 800. You'd be shocked to know Billy Napier's third, albeit from Louisiana, but still a uh, 788. That's great for Kirby. But you know what? When the picks come out this week, everybody, and I don't want to say everybody, but most everybody is going to pick Alabama to win the league. Business as usual. You might go, well, you know, that's just the media. Well, you know what? They've been right the last two years. Alabama did win the SEC championship last year, and they won it the year before. So Alabama's been a pretty safe pick. Now, LSU won it in 2019, but guess who won it in 2018? So before you say the media is stupid for picking Alabama this year, they've been right three out of the last four years. And spoiler alert, if I have to pick today, I'm picking Alabama to win the league this year. Not saying Georgia can't. But that's who I would pick. That's where my money's at. They got the best offensive player in college football, according to Kirby Smart, uh, Bryce Young. And they have the best defensive player in college football, I believe, in Will Anderson. So, I mean, that is a stacked team. They also stole uh, dynamic running back from Georgia Tech, Jameer Gibbs. And obviously they took Jermaine Burton from Georgia, uh, an explosive playmaking receiver. Dogs have got some other guys, but that helps the tide. They're loaded. Alabama is going to get be the pick. Alabama is once again the most talked about team to the extent that Lane Kiffin today, three out of the first four questions Lane Kiffin was asked today had something to do with Nick Saban or Alabama. And that's when Lane revealed that Kirby Smart apparently has talked about how you get up there and all you do is talk about Alabama. So that's obviously something that's been under Kirby's skin that he hasn't said publicly but told Lane I think it's funny how Lane Kiffin, you know, leaks all this little uh, Kirby smart stuff because Kirby is not a guy that wants to be personable, right? This is an exercise of, uh, of, of uh, responsibility to Kirby smart to come to media days. Anytime Kirby appears before the media, it's out of responsibility. It's part of his contract, which, by the way, isn't signed yet, but it's part of his responsibility. Kirby is all about making decisions that win championships. And talking to the media isn't going to win any football games for you. In fact, all the media can do in Kirby's mind most often is create distractions. And he doesn't like distractions. So when he comes here, he's not all loosey-goosey looking to make friends and, and win the room, right? Different guy than the guy that goes to booster functions. Different guy that, that you see at dog walk when he interacts with his fans. He loves his fans. He loves his boosters. He loves his players. 
but the media is just like something he's got to do. He, there's not a value to that. And I, and I understand that. No complaints. But that's just part of covering Kirby Smart. you got to understand where Kirby's coming from. So when Lane Kiffin throws something out there that Kirby said that we haven't heard, it's kind of interesting to the point that you write a story about it. And so I did. And so there's a story out there uh, about what Lane Kiffin said about Kirby and also about Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly got asked about Nick Saban. Alabama thinks they're the center of the SEC. You know what? They probably are. When you look at Nick Saban winning seven titles and what, six of them were at Bama, I'd say that they probably are at the center of the SEC. And Brian Kelly was asked today, hey, coach, was part of you coming to Notre Dame the fact that, or excuse me, going from Notre Dame to LSU, you realizing how far off Notre Dame was from Alabama? He said, no, that was not it. Those two teams Notre Dame played in the 2012 National Championship. And again, I believe what, the 2020 playoffs? I, I think both of those tied teams won national titles. And Kelly said, no, those are good teams. The reason he came to LSU is because of the opportunity. And there was LSU with its potential, his opportunity to coach in the best conference in the country, and some of those restrictions that we talked about earlier. So that's another story that you can read on the website uh, about Lane Kiffin and what he had to say and what Brian Kelly had to say. Uh, a lot of work being done by Dog Nation. You saw Sunday was a busier day than, than maybe any of us expected. Um, and, and not for the better. You know, if we're being honest, in my opinion, Georgia has lost some momentum. And Kirby Smart saw this coming. Kirby told us on National Signing Day that champ winning championships doesn't mean as much to recruits as it used to. And I kind of took that to mean from Kirby. He knew what he was going to be recruiting against. But to see Justice Haynes, uh, an in-state player, a legacy player, a top running back that Georgia was after, to see him drop Georgia and Del McGee and take Alabama, that was an eye-opener, right? I mean, first you had the Arch Manning. Now you got Justice Haynes. I'm beginning to wonder if Kirby – may do more on offense if Kirby may recognize that kids want more out of their offense. Now, I talked to David Cutcliffe about that today. Uh, he says not necessarily. I'm going to do a story later in this week. I had some really good questions with David Cutcliffe, real good Q&A. Look out for that. There's going to be some really good stuff in there. Uh, and I just feel like Georgia is, you know, they, they – the, the, all the momentum from the national, now the fans are going to feel, like I said, you're going to celebrate. But for the rest of the college football world, everybody's hit the reset button and everybody's back on Bama, back on Bryce Young, back on Will Anderson, back on Nick Saban, all about Alabama today. Uh, I, I asked Eli Drinkwitz a question about Georgia and about the tight ends. And I thought it was a pretty fair question. But it was almost like he was bitter and he didn't want to have to answer it. And, and I'll write about it eventually. I mean, but it was almost, I don't know, kind of snotty. And, and I leaned over to Mark Weiser. Uh, I sit next to Weiser. Of course, you guys know Mark writes for the Athens Banner Herald. He's been there a long time. Really good journalist. And I said, you know, why is it okay for everybody to ask coaches questions about Nick Saban and Alabama? And they just, all these coaches roll with it. But I ask about Kirby Smart. And Eli Drinkwitz gets a little snotty almost. He said, well, you know, maybe that's just the way he is. You know what? I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I, th I think Drinkwitz, uh, 
I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I don't know. To me, he sounded like a guy that knows he's going to be fired in two years. That was my comment on Eli Drink. I'll probably say that at some point on the SEC Network. You know, when, when the lead conversation for you is that your tennis shoes are cool, I don't think you're doing a very good job as a head coach when, when that's what we're talking about is his cool Michael Jordan uh, shoe collection. So, you know, and, and again, Drinkwitz, promising coach, did good things the one year at Appalachian State. For those of you who don't know, he was a part of the, the, the Auburn staff when they won the national title with Cam Newton, uh, coached with Gus Malzahn, also coached at Boise State or maybe it was Arkansas State. He coached with Brian Harson before. Eli Drinkwitz runs good stuff, okay? But I don't think he's dynamic enough to get it done at Missouri. I think it's a tough job. I think they get talent there. I think they got good proximity to St. Louis and Kansas City, uh, and they get some players out of the Midwest. But I think that's a tough job, and I don't think he's going to be the guy that gets them over the hump. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised that the only SEC game they won this year is against Vanderbilt. And again, I'll get to these these statistics and these numbers uh, a little bit later on in the show. But but I think you know, getting back to the the three burning questions uh, that are being asked here this week. One is, can Georgia maintain momentum? I feel like they're losing it uh, on recruiting. They've missed on a couple of really big recruits. Now, I still think Georgia uh, will finish in the top five in recruiting. I'm not saying the program's hitting the skids. But when we're talking about trying to stay at the very top and stay number one, there's zero margin for error. You can be really, really, really good and really, really, really special and only be third in the country. And so that's where Georgia starts the year, third in the country. So that's burning question number one. Burning question number two is, can anybody disrupt Alabama and Georgia? I mean, it looks to me like we're going to see another SEC championship game with Georgia and Alabama, even though the dogs have a record number of players to replace 15 guys selected in the NFL draft, four former starters in the transfer portal. I was talking with Tim Tebow about an hour ago. I ran into him uh, at the the hotel gym Uh, and and (laughs) Tebow is, is just such a monster and, uh, you know, such a hardworking guy. And, he, and he's really scouted all this out uh, thoroughly. And and I think Tebow points out when you lose a lot of leaders, that's going to be a key. And and I would take that to the bank. I think that's and I think you'll hear Kirby talk about that. Um, so that's going to be really interesting <clears throat> to see how these other players emerge, because, you know, there were 18 guys that were team captains for Georgia last year, 18 that were game captains. Only four of those guys return. Can you name them in your mind? Who are you thinking? Nolan Smith, yes. Christopher Smith, yes. Kiaris Jackson, yes. And Warren Erickson. That's it. Those are That's it. So Georgia's got to find some leaders. I know they're making those leaders right now in the off-season workouts. They introduce a lot of adversity. Uh, Coach Scott Sinclair with his weight program, the way he pushes them, the way Kirby, the way the position coaches push these guys, they create adverse situations that the players have to pull to pull through together. And leaders emerge from those adversities. You build your leadership in that way, or you recognize your leaders, and then you develop them. So I saw some mentor programs and things like that going on this summer. So that's going to be a real key for Georgia. We talk about position reloads. 
But one of the things we need to talk more about is leadership reload. And that's, I think, one of the things Kirby might talk about this week. So who can unseat, unseat Georgia and Alabama? In the West, I told you I like Brian Kelly a lot, but it's year one. And it's really hard to come in and, and your culture. I've seen coaches do it before. I covered 1993 Auburn. Terry Bowden's first year came in there and went 11-0 and with Pat Dye players. Can Brian Kelly do that? I, I'm not sure. You know, Auburn had a veteran quarterback in Stan White. I'm not sure about the LSU quarterback situation. I know Brian Kelly said today he, he's got plenty of skill position players. Um, but I am bullish on LSU. Arkansas, another team I'm bullish on. But I don't think Arkansas can beat Alabama. I think Arkansas can beat a lot of teams uh, with their toughness and grit. Sam Pittman's good coaching. Uh, Kendall Breyers, Barry Odom, I like that staff a lot. I think Sam's got really good chemistry going there. Uh, but I don't think they're good enough to knock off the tide. So my, my pick may be LSU. Uh, I suppose Texas A&M, if, if Max Johnson turns out to be their version of Joe Burrow, I, I thought he looked special for LSU when he beat the Gators a couple of years ago. Let's see what happens with the Aggies. But I, I don't expect A&M to have enough of an edge uh, to beat Bama anyway. But those would be the three teams over there that, you know, LSU, A&M, Arkansas, can any of them – you know, and the only way, in my opinion, that Bama doesn't go back to the SEC championship game is if something happens to Bryce Young, because Bryce Young is is an amazing football player. In the East, you know, Georgia, I think, actually has an even bigger advantage from a talent standpoint over the rest of their division than Bama does. Uh, Tennessee is is kind of a vogue pick because of Hendon Hooker, the quarterback from Virginia Tech that led the league in pass efficiency last year. Josh Heupel with that hurry-up spread offense. It looks so dynamic. Uh, but the Vols were 7-6. and six. Uh, They lost a lot of guys. Uh, the defense is a question. Do they have a puncher's chance uh, against anybody? Sure. When you've got that sort of an offense, you do. But I don't think they can be consistent enough uh, to pass Georgia by. Uh, Kentucky with Will Levis. I mean, this is a guy that a lot of people are high on that that looks like a prototypical NFL quarterback. He's in his second year now. I think that's significant. Consider Georgia played a lot of first-year quarterbacks last year. This year, a less experienced Georgia defense plays more second-year quarterbacks. One of the things Tebow told me is he thinks this is the deepest quarterback class he's seen in the league in the nine years that he's been working with the SEC Network. That's, that's definitely uh, worth noting, especially since he didn't have Stetson in his top five. I asked him about that. He said, well, that's that's no offense to Stetson. The league is just that good. So you talk about Tennessee, a puncher's chance. You talk about Kentucky, puncher's chance. You know, South Carolina is a program that I personally would like to see do well because of Shane Beamer. And I like Shane's attitude. I, I like the positivity. I, I know you guys have seen the tweets and some of the videos out of there. You know, Shane trying to do it as the good guy, you know, and, and and I'd like to see that style do well. I know his dad, Frank Beamer, uh, legendary coach, longtime coach of Virginia Tech. Uh, Beamer, just a good guy. I mean, anybody I know that knows Shane Beamer feels the same way. And you want to see good guys win. But I'm just a little skeptical about that. And it's not because of Spencer Rattler, because I think he's very talented. I think he's genuinely one of the top four or five quarterbacks in the league. So my question is, why didn't Shane bring him here? You know, does that mean there's some concern and, you're, you know, you're trying to control 
Uh, you don't want there to be any jealousies or you want to make sure, you know, if you feel like you need to not bring your quarterback here, it just makes me wonder. Or maybe, like I said earlier, you know, Shane, like Kirby, just views this. All this is a distraction. If you bring Spencer Rattler, maybe people dig up his past and ask him about high school and ask him about Oklahoma and maybe nothing good comes of it because he hasn't done anything at Carolina to talk about yet. Still, I like to see the quarterbacks brought here. So those are three teams, you know, in Florida, you know, Anthony Richardson's another guy Tebow's, Tebow's high on, and, and, and he's not the only one. I've heard a lot of people talk about Anthony Richardson. Now, if you're a Georgia fan and you're looking at this on a granular level and you're reflecting back on last year's game when, when it was three to zero, I mean, Georgia's offense was doing nothing in that game. It's three to zero with three minutes left in the first half. And then suddenly the George defense roars to life and turns over Anthony Richardson. I think Noel Smith had a, a tip pass pick. I think Nicobe Dean uh, seems like he had a close to a pick six, if not a pick six. And there was one other short drive that was the result of a turnover. And a three to zero game went to 24 to zero in three minutes because of the Georgia defense. When people talk about, well, the defense won a lot of games and some people go, oh, what are you talking about? That's one of the games we're talking about because the Georgia offense was not good in that game. But I'm told that Anthony Richardson is very special with a very high ceiling. So, you know, and that's coming from somebody who's worked out with him. And, and I, I don't know, Tim Tebow's about as honest as he gets and as, study, as studious as he gets. So now how does that mean he'll do this year? We don't know. And nobody's predicting that. Just saying this is a very talented guy with a high ceiling. Can Florida put it together this year? Again, I'm skeptical. New coach, new culture. You know, things are very different there. And I'm not sure how all the Gator players are adjusting to it. So, you know, could Florida upset a cut? You sure they could. Do I think they can win the East? No. So that's kind of my thought. Now, when we come back, I'm going to take a short break here. When I come back, I'm going to cover all the bases that Greg Sankey talked about. There was a lot of really good questions that came up today about conference expansion, that came up today about uh, the schedule model. And Sankey touched on how early Oklahoma and Texas could join the league. And I want to tell you about that. And then I'm going to give you my record predictions for the SEC this year, team by team. But right now, I want to take this moment and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. They've been with us. They've been there for you. Uh, and they continue to be there for Dog Nation. Let's take this time out right now and recognize Ingles. It's in our hearts to feel for you There's been ups and downs, turnarounds There's good days and some bad But we stand together for worse and for better We'll always have your back With open arms, heart to heart strong you know that commercial gets me every time uh so greg sankey uh went up there today uh gave his state of the union hard to believe this is greg sankey's eighth year as the sec commissioner it's time's gone by fast since he replaced mike slive and and of course it seems like yesterday to me that roy kramer uh the great roy kramer was running the league of course coach kramer uh was the man responsible for the sec splitting into divisions in 1993 in the SEC championship game, in addition to the BCS. 
And without the BCS, we don't get to the playoff. Because what Roy Kramer did that was so magical was find a way for the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to hold on to their beloved Rose Bowl, which they were not going to budge on, and somehow find a way to include that into a championship game system. And a very ingenious plan, and it's really taking us to the next step. You know, and so now what's the next step? We've got this four-team playoff. Uh, what have we had it since 2014, I suppose? Uh, you know, and there's been talk about expansion. Uh, at this time last year, I, I think we were still thinking at this time last year that there could be a 12-team playoff, and it was right about tomorrow that Texas and Oklahoma news came out that they were joining the SEC, and that's when everything hit the fan. That's when the Big Ten and the ACC and the Pac-12 said, hey, we're forming an alliance. We're not good with this. You know, they accused Greg Sankey of not operating in good faith when he served on the committee to decide to design uh, and propose a playoff. They accused Sankey of like, well, you only did that because you knew that Texas and Oklahoma were going to join. And that's why you wanted to. And that's just not true. That's not why. Um, and so the 12-team playoff that we were all excited about, I didn't know anybody that wasn't. I'm a purist and a traditionalist, and I liked it. It, it just it got derailed just like that because the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 formed their little alliance and pulled out. I wonder how that alliance is working out for the Pac-12 now that the Big Ten stole UCLA and USC from them. There's some irony there for sure. So we talked to Sankey today about the potential for 12 or an 18 playoff. And the key here is that the, the sticking point is the whole quote unquote automatic qualifier portion of the playoff. Well, what's an automatic qualifier? Automatic qualifier means uh, that you slot, you have, for example, the way the proposal for an 18 playoff last, last year that the SEC wouldn't agree to was for there to be six automatic qualifiers. In other words, if you were the conference champion of the of any of the power five schools you had an automatic slot in there and the group of five winner or notre dame being that number 16 was an automatic slot so you only had two spots for at large teams and sankey pointed out in 2014 had that formula been applied you would have had a team that was ranked 20th in the college football playoff instead of a team that was ranked eighth so that's why he was like, no, we're not going to do this 18 playoff with six automatic qualifiers. Now, if you want to go 12 teams with six automatic qualifiers and six at larges, we're down with that in the SEC. That's what he was saying. And yet the other conferences were like, no, no, there's going to be four or five SEC teams in there. We don't want to do it. So Sankey said, cool, we'll stick with a 14 playoff because the SECs had what? Five different teams win the national championship in the last 12 years. Is that right? Let me think about it. Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Florida, since what, 2009? Five and 12 years? Okay. You, you don't want to change the formula? If you're the SEC, you just keep on cooking. I think there's been like 16 or 17 SEC teams that have played in the national championship game the last 16 years or whatever, going back to 06 or 07. Uh, so it's worked for the SEC. Uh, SEC is negotiating from a position of strength. The other talk that came up, you know, now that USC and UCLA have joined the Big Ten, what's the SEC's move, right? Last year, the SEC added Oklahoma and Texas, and, and I felt like kind of got a leg up on everybody. The, the Big Ten has answered 
with the number two media market in the country, which means their contract is going to be very valuable. Their DV contract might continue to be more valuable than the SEC's. But Sankey says, you know what? We're comfortable in the SEC with 16 teams. There's no sense of urgency. There's no panic, right? The SEC doesn't feel like they got to run out there. And as he said, we're not shooting for a number of affiliations that make us better. Now, could they be out there? He said they never said they're not, but he would never say that they will. So the stance of the league is that they're going to be evaluating the landscape. And regardless of whether or not the SEC adds two or four or six more teams, Sankey concluded, it is a super conference. So you might see that headline on our website. Uh, Another thing Sankey asked, is there any chance Oklahoma and Texas could be joining the SEC earlier than July 1st, 2025? There was some scuttlebutt out of Big 12 media days last week that the Big 12 was quote-unquote open for business And what did that mean? Could it mean that the Big 12 would consider selling off or or having Texas and Oklahoma being bought out? I say only if it's in their best interest. So the Big 12 right now is scrambling. And so is the Pac-12. The Big 12 lost Texas and Oklahoma. And the Pac-12 lost USC and UCLA. It seems to me inevitable that the Big 12 and the Pac-12 have to have some sort of agreement, some sort of merger. And there may be some schools lost in that. I mean, I don't know. Does anybody want Washington State? I mean, it sounds ugly, but it's such a small market and it's so remote. Does Cal Berkeley want to be a part of big time football? What about Stanford? Does Stanford want to be in a football, Stanford, an elite academic, Cal Berkeley, same way, pretty self-important. You know, do those teams really want to join a big 12 you know, what about Oregon and Washington? Is the is the Big Ten going to scoop them up? Right now, it doesn't look like their value is enough for the Big Ten to split that pie two different ways unless Phil Knight and Nike were to somehow supplement that addition to the league with, with some guaranteed sponsorship. To me, it's going to take money. It's going to take a lot of money to wedge Oregon and Washington into the Big Ten. I'm not sure it's going to happen. Could Oregon and Washington join the Big 12? To me, that's a last resort for them. Arizona, Arizona State, absolutely. Colorado, Utah, Utah, definitely. So something to keep an eye on is how the Big 12 and the Pac-12. The ACC, you know, when this first started and we were considering teams that the SEC might add, I I raised my hand and I said, I I think, you know, maybe – Miami and North Carolina. To me, those would have been the two most valuable teams because of the market share they would have brought. This is all about market share, not about how good the teams are, how many television sets you're going to include in that market. For example, 2014, Big Ten added Rutgers in Maryland. I was covering the league then, and I'm like, wait a minute, Rutgers in Maryland? Those programs are terrible. Well, yes, but did you know when the Big Ten added Rutgers in Maryland, they expanded their television footprint by 33%. Think about that. They added 33% more television sets that the, that the Big Ten Network was available on. And now this move with, with Los Angeles via UCLA and USC, the number two media market. This is brilliant marketing. More TV sets appeal to more advertisers. You're going to reach more people. It's like the people that advertise on Dog Nation. We fill up 
Sanford Stadium with different people looking at our website every day. More than that. And that's why we have great advertisers because they get great value out of it, right? The more people you reach, we've got a great educated audience, you know, that love the dogs. It just makes sense. Well, it's that way with the television networks as well. They want to reach these expanded markets. And that's why the Big Ten is taking the strategy. I will say Greg Sankey said today that that the regional, uh, the, the geographical footprint by adding Oklahoma and Texas did not change in the sense of these are teams uh, that are uh, adjacent to SEC states. And I think there's something to be said for that. Now, back to the ACC. I had first thought that maybe the ACC would come apart. But then upon further review, did you know ESPN has a contract with the ACC? If you're ESPN and you got to think strategic, why would you want to get rid of one of your revenue streams? Why would you want to say, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Let's take out two or three good programs and move them to the SEC. And then the ACC loses value. No, you want to strengthen. Maybe the ACC makes a grab for Notre Dame. And at first I thought to myself, well, that doesn't make sense because their, their package isn't big enough, their television package. But if you're Notre Dame and you want to win championships, what's the easiest path? Is it through the SEC or is it through the ACC? Aha. If you join the ACC, who do you really have to beat every year? Clemson and who else? I don't know. So maybe that's the path for Notre Dame. Now, can they make that package financially attractive enough for the Irish? I don't know. Money talks. Uh, ESPN's got some decisions to make. I think it's interesting that, that SEC is saying, hey, we're happy with 16 for now. Uh, as for Oklahoma and Texas, the answer right now is no. Uh, that's going to be up to Texas and Oklahoma. I've seen reports. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma say as far as they know, they're in until 2025. So very interesting. Now, Sankey was also asked about the new scheduling models. Remember, I was down at uh, Destin uh, in the end of May, early June. We were talking about could this go to a nine-game league schedule? Could we see, instead of divisional play, maybe pods with every team having three natural rivals that they play every year? A lot of people like that idea. One of the motives for Sankey is, and for the coaches and the presidents is they want the teams to filter through other schools more often. What had it been, 12 years since George had played uh, LSU, something like that a few years back? You know, maybe if you have a nine-game schedule now, maybe these schools will all get to play one another within a, a, an athlete's four-year career cycle. So a lot of talk about that. He was asked today, though, so what are some of the issues? What are some of the problems? Why didn't we see the SEC move forward with a nine-game schedule? Well, number one, if there's no champion, you know, tiebreaker. How do you do a tiebreaker? That, that, that's kind of tricky. You want to make sure you got something fair. Um, from a scheduling standpoint, there's an imbalance when you play nine games. Some teams are going to play five home games. Some teams are going to play four home games, right, versus eight games where everybody but Georgia gets to play uh, four home games every year in their home state. You know, of course, Georgia right now, through 2023 at least, uh, gives up a home game to play in, in Florida. Uh, Sankey also said there's some, some concern about the non-conference schedules, right? Right now – the SEC requires that uh, one of the games that the SEC teams played is, is an autonomy 
uh, five type of opponent. Well, if you're going to go to nine conference games, you got to lose an opponent, right? How do you get rid of that opponent? How do you, how do you get rid of that game? I mean, look at Georgia sitting here, um, you know, on a, on a separate scheduling uh, challenge. Supposed to play at Oklahoma next year. Well, the return game is until 2031. By then, Oklahoma's in the league. So it's not really a true return game. It's a league game. So what's George going to do with that game at Oklahoma? Are you still going to play it in Norman? Are you going to buy it out? Are you going to ask maybe that it gets to me the answer would be, if you can get Oklahoma to agree to this, would be to play the game in Dallas or, or Arlington, right, in Jerry World. Uh, because that's a huge, that's the number five metropolitan market in the country, five television market. And there's a lot of recruiting. to go. There'd be value for Georgia to play in Jerry World, more so than playing Norman. Even though I'm a sucker for the home and home, not in this case. You're not going to get the return game. So to me, move that to Dallas. So those are some of the questions that Greg Sankey was asked today and how he responded. Now, I promised you my records, uh, and uh, I haven't printed it yet. And I suppose I'll be printing it tomorrow since we're talking about it. But, of course, I like I like to put stuff out on this live channel, uh, you know, before I, I go ahead and, and post stories. I want to give some value uh, to you folks that tune in. I certainly appreciate the audience tonight. So in the West, here's how I've got it. And I, and I'm, I might have to mess around with this. I don't know. I, I probably should. I probably should mess around with this a little bit and get a little bit more conservative. In fact, let me go ahead and do that right now. I'm going to make a quick little adjustment. Boom. And, you know, I am going to, uh, yeah, I'm going to do that. All right. So I got Alabama going eight. now. I think the tide's going to run the table again. Injuries can happen. We saw that last year with Jameson Williams. We saw it at, at Georgia. Uh, you know, Georgia had JT Daniels go down. I got Bama 8-0. I'm going to have Arkansas and AM 6-2. I got LSU 5-3. I got Mississippi State and Ole Miss both 3-5. And, and uh, I got Auburn 2-6. I, I, I don't think Brian Harson is going to make it through the year. In the, in the East division, I got Georgia going 7-1. Seven and one, you lose 15 guys. The dogs have had a tendency to have a game that kind of get away. I think with everything you lost, it's not unreasonable to think that maybe the dogs have an off day. Now, they can run the table. I'm not, I, it's not like there's a game I go, that's the one. I got them seven and one. I got Tennessee and Kentucky, both five and three. Um, both those teams, like I said, punchers, chance teams. I've got Florida three and five. I've got Carolina two and six. Missouri one and seven. Vanderbilt 0 and 8. Before I go, take a look at your comments. If you've got some questions for me, uh, now would be a good time to ask. I've got a couple of minutes left uh, before we go. Uh, I see someone's asking me if Jeff Collins wants to cancel the series. No chance. Georgia Tech doesn't want to cancel that series. They're relevant. They're selling to recruits that if you come to Georgia Tech, you get to play Clemson and Georgia every year. Georgia is keeping Georgia Tech relevant. I, I don't understand that. You guys know I, I think that's a wasted road game. Um, but, you know, tradition, right? Everybody falls over about tradition. Uh, someone said, who who will UGA lose to? Uh, you know, I, again, Bama, boy, I don't have a, a prescribed team. You know, I think there's teams with puncher's chances. Um, you know, I think, you know, if Tennessee got hot, if 
if uh, Kentucky got hot. Uh, the game that, that concerns me right now in the, in the game that just for the exercise, on the road in Starkville late in the season, you think about how close Mississippi State played Georgia a couple years ago at Sanford Stadium. And then you think about how well Mississippi State did against the run. That's a road game. It's a trap game. The next week is the Kentucky game, which I think will decide the East. And so that that trap game to me. Um, I, but again, if I'm sitting here picking every game individually, there's not a game that I would pick Georgia to lose. There's just not a game that I would say they're going to lose that game. I think individually they're favored by double digits in every single game. So I don't have a game per se that I'm just sure. You know, I just feel like one of those games is going to slip through the cracks. That's that's all I'm saying. I, I don't I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, you know, the, the odds are, you know, each week George wins. But collectively, you're asking a team to run the table in the SEC regular season two years in a row. That'd be 16 straight SEC wins in the regular season. That's tough to do. We will see. I could be wrong. This is a Georgia team that's going to get better as the season progresses. You're going to see better timing in the back seven. Uh, Georgia could get stung early. I think Oregon's a dangerous game. Um, I would say South Carolina, but I just think Georgia's too good in the trenches. I love the dogs run game. I think it's going to be better than a year ago. I'm excited to see three and four tight ends on the field. I think it's going to be incredibly difficult to stop this Georgia offense. Stetson, uh, you know, very good, clean center snap exchanges, good with the handoffs. Uh, you know, I don't think they're going to ask him to do too much. I think it's pretty easy reads when you got big targets like that. Uh, you know, you got a big catch radius. Think about how many great catches Brock Bowers made last year. Balls behind him, over his head. When you got targets like that, and Eric Gilbert, I think also a very, very special player. So I, again, bullish on the dogs. Uh, someone says Tech's important in the TV, or asking is Tech important in the TV market? No, it's not. Georgia's already in Atlanta. That's part of the problem I've got with that game. No recruits want to go to that game. Nobody really cares to watch it on TV. It's not a good football game. It's a blowout. Uh, when teams get frustrated, they start submarining. You see guys try to get in. I just I think it's an ugly game. I would much rather see Georgia play South Carolina to end the year. And I would suggest that Carolina needs to move their game with Clemson to the beginning of the year. And if Georgia wants to play Georgia Tech, Play the Jackets at the start of the year and only play them in Sanford Stadium. Don't give them a road game. Those road games are so valuable, guys. I'd much rather see the Dogs playing at Oregon this year than, than having to worry about a Georgia Tech series or, or playing you know anywhere else. Just And, again, I, I know that you know 100 years ago this mattered or 50 years ago, but right now that game is just so inconsequential. The best recruits in the country, they're not there. Okay, They don't want to be there. They're going to be at Alabama Auburn that weekend. So those are my thoughts. I like what uh, I like what Jeffrey says about Munkin still being at UGA. I agree. I think he's an absolute mastermind. Uh, Two million dollars a year and worth every penny. I think he's key. Uh, surprise team, Randy wants to know. I, again, I'm bullish on LSU. I know my record didn't reflect that. Um, I, I like Brian Kelly a lot. I just I like him a lot. Uh, you know Mississippi State. And Mike Leach teams, to me, they, they just haven't been consistent enough. But I was reading up today that, that his teams in year three can be dangerous. I just don't think they have enough depth. 
I don't think they have enough depth to win 10 games. I think they're, they, they're good enough to be dangerous on a given night at home, but they don't have the depth. That SEC West is as good as I've seen it in, in a while in terms of how deep it is, right? I like I think LSU's got talent, and I think Brian Kelly, uh, and, and talking to, uh, to David Cutcliffe today, he said that Brian Kelly's teams are incredibly – Georgia fans know this. Remember 2019? They came into Sanford. It was rocking. The fans won that game. There was like six or seven false starts in 2019 in Sanford Stadium when they lit it up. That was the first game with the red LED lighting. That Notre Dame team, I, I'm just going to say it, Notre Dame outcoached Georgia that night. Notre Dame was the better coach team in 2019. But those dog fans weren't going to let it happen with those red lights and that crowd and seven false start penalties or motion penalties that were a direct result. That game came down to the very end. And George, I thought, was that much better uh, than Notre Dame. And the Irish were that close because I believe that Brian Kelly is that good. So I like them. You know, is Tennessee really a surprise? If everybody's talking about them being a surprise, are they really a surprise? And do we really think they're going to win more than eight or nine games? I just don't. I don't. I think they're talented. I think they're explosive offensively. A lot of sports center highlights. A lot of ridiculous stats. But that you got to have some defense. You got to have some defense. And I just don't think Kentucky, do we believe that Kentucky can put it all together? Now, Georgia does play in Lexington, but Kentucky is, whoa, Kentucky is built too much like Georgia to beat Georgia. And what do I mean by that? They're, they're a power run team with a pro style offense. I think that's in Kirby's wheelhouse. And I just don't think their defense, even though it's coached well, it's not as good as Georgia's and Georgia plays they played well up there a few years ago and, and i believe the dogs will be ready for that game so those are some of my thoughts uh it's early in the week tomorrow nick saban that will talk you know nick saban and, and the book of nick wednesday kirby will talk stetson will be here nolan smith will be here cedric van pran really happy cedric's here great team spokesman really like this young man uh be interesting to hear what stet has to say um, going to be doing a story on him. You guys, I had a poll up. You need to check this out before I go. Go to at Mike Griffith 32 on Twitter. I asked this question. If you can only pick one former or current Kirby Smart starting quarterback, you can only pick one to win a must-win game. Who are you taking? Eason from Bennett or JT Daniels? The, the results of this poll I think will surprise you. I think you'll be very surprised to see which quarterback they would take between JT Daniels, Jake Fromm, Stetson Bennett, and Jacob Eason in a must-win game. I was absolutely floored by the results of this poll. It's, and it'll be on Dog Nation later this week, but you can go vote at Mike Griffith 32. And, uh, hey, guys, I appreciate it. We're going to be having updates every night. Uh, if Connor's not on tomorrow night, I'll be on tomorrow night. Maybe me and Connor. Connor is here with me. Um, I see Aaron Murray. He didn't play for Kirby. These are just Kirby quarterbacks. We will find out uh, tomorrow what Nick Saban has to say. And Wednesday, Kirby Smart. Again, we will have updates. We will have more videos. Do me a big favor. If you're on Facebook, please share this. Uh, need to get that Ingalls brand circulated. They do a great job of sponsorship. Need to make sure they're getting the proper exposure for all they do for me and all they do for you. Everyone have a safe and wonderful week. Enjoy the rest of these SEC 
uh, media days. I'll be here. I'll be knocking it out. I have a lot more content for you.